I'm Christine Russo, and you're listening to What Just Happened on MarketScale. Welcome to What Just Happened. Today, we welcome Anthony Walter. Anthony is Vice Chair, U.S. Consumer Industry Leader, Deloitte. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me, Christine. Let's get into Deloitte's recent report, Buying Into Better, The Future of the Consumer Industry. Walk us through what it means to Deloitte from a philosophical standpoint and how you see it as part of that five, 10 year outlook. Thanks. And, and buying into better is a journey that we're all on, really, both consumers and consumer companies. And when reflecting over the, over the past few years, what organizations were sort of focused on, what consumers were demanding, what we recognized is that we're all sort of moving toward a more utopian future, despite all the dystopian impacts that are out there today. And we think about it, consumers are using their dollars more and more to affect the change they want to see in the world. And they're speaking with their wallets and demanding more reliable, safe, convenient, sustainable, socially just, and personalized goods and services. And companies are responding by leveraging technology to build more powerful and relevant consumer connections and in making commitments to a broader set of, of stakeholders and in, in beyond just share price to include the planet and society. So together they're buying into better. And that was really sort of, I think, the catalyst to the work that we've done recently with the future of the consumer industry. What's interesting is what you've written about in the document, which is change, expect change, build in change. It really is about the expanded stakeholders and looking at it as a value lever. When we're looking at the impact we're making as a firm, and frankly, the impact that our clients are making, you know, we, we really have come to the realization that human centricity is critically important. And a lot of what's important to humans so go beyond the products and services that we provide. But it's the things that we help them focus on, the impacts that we make overall. So when you think about something like consumer goods companies contribute about 60% of greenhouse gases to the world, it's a big issue. And so to consumers who are looking to put place their dollars where they would like to impact change, that's important. And so, you know, they're looking for companies that are, you know, focused on the environment, that are focused on reducing their carbon footprint, for example. So when we looked at, 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 at buying into better, we were trying to fuse profit with purpose and come up with a creative platform that would allow us to do it. And that's buying into better. What buying into better allowed us to do is to look at better in terms of many dimensions. It could be affordability, it could be access, it could be impact on the environment and an impact on society and social justice, not just an impact on the products. And of course, from a product perspective, it's things like convenience, safety, et cetera. So, Buying into better, a creative platform that's allowing us to have really strategic conversations with our clients about more than shareholder value, but impacts broadly on society. I think it's profound that you're giving profit with a purpose, basically a seat at the at the boardroom table. You're saying, we're going to have all of these objectives. We have obligations to shareholders, employees, each other. And we also have an obligation to a higher purpose. And we're going to we're going to talk about that in the same way, in maybe a same weight, weighted scale, so that we are addressing all of the things that are important. I mean, when, you know, when you think about purpose, it's not just a, a thing to do to feel good about. People are buying better. They're buying purpose. 
and spending their dollars where they believe their values are aligned. So it is an important business imperative beyond making an impact to, to the, the environment and society. We wanted to understand what's going on today that's going to dramatically impact the consumer industry into the future. And about 18 months ago, we asked Casey Lobaugh, who's been on your show in the past, our chief futurist for the consumer industry, to help us understand just that. What are the market shifts that will have consequences on businesses in the next decade? So, and, and there were a few principles that we used when we went about this. Uh, we, we, was, we didn't want to take a crystal ball approach. So we didn't ask him to make broad predictions about the future. We engaged individuals. We had over a thousand conversations, both in groups and with individuals around what they believed were trends impacting the future. And then we said, instead of going out 20 years in, in, or further, as, as others have done, we're going to focus on the next five to 10. What we did is we, with all of that information, we, of course, adjusted for the pandemic taking place between 2020 and 2021. So, you know, the result was really three primary business dimensions that were impacted by six forces with nine implications. I think what's important to know is that it is a construct. What we've, what we've come up with after our research was a framework to really think about the future, think about the implications of forces impact in the future across three business dimensions. And those dimensions are markets, models, and mechanics. And so when you look at the, the six forces impacting markets, models, and mechanics, they're things like shifting and broadening consumer base, diversifying life journeys that are taking place, exponential technology and artificial intelligence, everything as a service, climate change and the impacts on the environment, and geopolitical turmoil. So you think about those six forces and their impacts on what businesses need to think about around markets, models, and mechanics. And I'll just spend a second on, on, on each. Markets are, by our definition, what's sold and to whom it's sold. So what are you selling? What are the products and your in or services that you're providing? And how and who are you selling it to? How are you adding value in the market? Models are how your organization is organized and configured to deliver that value, to deliver that unique customer experience or that unique product. And then mechanics are really how businesses execute against their strategy and objectives. So how they're organized, who they team with, how they actually accomplish their business objectives. So this three area of markets, models, and mechanics, we call them the three Ms, have really emerged as the, the who cares about what we've done around analyzing forces and implications. Based on how you've described the three Ms, am I right to understand and the listeners to understand that the two Ms, the models and the mechanics, are there to serve and service the other M, which is the market, which is the, the place in which the relationship occurs with consumer and brands and selling and communicating. Right, Christine. You know, really the, the, the markets, what you sell, um, the value that you bring to the market, both in terms of the products and services that you bring, but also your impact are, are really sort of driven by that, you know, models and mechanics elements. So, you know, again, how you're organized to achieve objectives, the execution of your strategic objectives through the mechanics that you've put in place were all critically important. We thought that framework was a real easy way to engage client executives in conversations around, so what do I do about all this? Well, it's a good way to identify voids 
identify opportunities. When you're in it, you can't see the forest through the trees. So when you guys are laying that out for them, you're able to say, okay, you're okay here, but you, you actually can't be because you're missing these little pieces of each of the, each of these interactive components. The three business dimensions, markets, models, and mechanics are the levers that organizations pull to really thrive in a complex and uncertain market. The nine implications are sort of buried throughout the, the three business dimensions. They're the things that are happening to the organization, sometimes affecting one business dimension, but, but oftentimes affecting all three. Can you give me an example? Yeah, so we'll, we'll use mass to micro maybe as an example. When you think about what organizations are grappling with today is supply-driven demand to to demand that's coming from the customers. And so customers in an empowered world of technology and opportunity and an almost unlimited variety and assortment of, of, of clients and, and products to choose from are increasingly demanding more from organizations that affect more customized or personalized goods and services. So what that's requiring is a focus by organizations to look at what their product assortment is and say, am I being individual enough? Am I able to, to, to capture a share of the market that's changing dramatically, by the way, demographically and in size in a way that will grow my business? And so if the demand is I want highly specialized products, that market is big, how do I get there? And how I get there is through the models and mechanics components. So when you look at your model, how are you engaged to build the products and services that are highly individualized, that address them mass to micro trend? If you think about what they're demanding, a lot of people are demanding localized. They're demanding personalized. They're demanding a product assortment beyond what they're typically used to. So they're doing that by expanding offerings. And they're doing that by looking at, at who they're doing business with, so the supply chain partners, and looking for highly specialized supply chain partners that can help them deliver those products and services either in the production line or directly through an OEM relationship that will allow them to build the increasingly customized products and services and then deliver locally. So when you think about up and down the supply chain, it's not only about the production cycle, it's also about the, the, the distribution cycle and logistics. So a lot of times what you're seeing is in a model, a model that includes not only what the organization does well, but what their ecosystem partners do well as well to, to contribute. And then when you look at it from a, from a mechanics perspective, it's about leveraging technology, looking at, 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 at analyzing what customers want when they want it and delivering that product, that highly individualized, localized product or service when needed to those customers. So that's sort of an example of how markets, models, and, and mechanics all relate. Is mass to micro sort of the long tail coming to fruition where there's, rather than the big movements, it's a series of tribes contributing in smaller ways to a bigger, a bigger business. It's like a collective versus what it, the way it used to be. So, yes, I, I think what it's doing is it's allowing organizations to specialize, organizations to outsource pieces of their business that maybe that's not their best and highest use, and to be able to do so in a cost-effective way that can deliver the same outcomes, but in, in perhaps different outcomes in, in terms of meeting the demand that we just talked about, but in a way that's more effective. 
I, I think if you if you layer on the fact that organizations are facing unprecedented cost constraints with rising supply chain costs, rising um, you know raw material costs, the need to do something well and to sort of narrow that focus and do something well has become increasingly important. And so this expansion of ecosystem relationships is one that we talk a lot with our clients about who to do business with these and, and how to leverage them within the value chain to deliver on the ever-changing demands of the consumer. I found the report to be an, a masterclass on generational change for existing leadership, which is very valuable. At the enterprise level, you're looking at very long time to build a business and build the leadership, and then they're in the leadership role. And what what premises are they using? Well, are they using the ones that they use to get there, the company grew that the company used to grow? And then when you look out and you're and you're doing that long-term strategic plan, well, the outlook looks a lot different than what you're what you use to get there. And so this becomes that document, blueprint, masterclass, whatever you want to call it, outline to say, okay, well, here's what those the next five to 10 years is going to look like. It's a lot different than what you what you're used to, FYI. Take a good look. Do you feel that? That's, to a degree, kind of what it does and how it serves. What we'd want people to get from the body of work is the, the, an understanding that what's worked for the last 40 years is not going to work into the future. We talk about things like reconfiguring supply chains and operational you know, in, in production to meet the demands of, of the consumer. We talk about things like massive shifts from one type of product that's more you know, sort of tangible, durable good to a digital good and service. These require dramatically different skill sets in the organization. And so what, we've, what we would want people to understand is that these trends in the marketplace and the impacts on business are occurring at, at a rapid pace that we've never seen before. And it's like anything else that you see out, out in the world today, technology growing exponentially, far outseeding Moore's Law. You know, when you look at what's happening with, with businesses and the shift around convergence where organizations that before now were very focused on one industry or sector or sector expanding and converging with other sectors in, in a variety of different ways. So the, the behavior of the organization is a direct result reflection on the demand that consumers are, 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 well, the things that consumers are demanding. And so that's very different. These forces that we talked about and referenced earlier, the six forces, what's what's unique about them, if you look at them individually, you're not going to say, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> I think everyone kind of has an understanding of the forces that are impacting their industry or their, their companies. But what's unique about it is, again, the speed that they're moving and the fact that they're converging with one another to create a very different risk and, and frankly, a different opportunity for organizations. So I like to think that, you know, there's more opportunity than risk, but as you know, with any type of change, it's affecting the enterprise, the way you respond. And that's why we're so focused on the levers, the, the markets, models, and mechanics is critically important. So being thoughtful about that is really important 
in the body of work allows you to sort of think about the, the risks and opportunities in the marketplace across the, a dimension of six forces, nine implications, and again, what levers can I pull in the organization to take advantage of the opportunities and the growth opportunities that exist as a result? I'm going to segue into something I believe that you spend a lot of time on emphasizing in the report. Let's give it some airtime. Let's talk about digital goods and services. It's emphasized a lot. Let's get into that a little bit. Digital goods and services is a shifting category that is growing exponentially when you think about it versus others. Right now, we we have, have benchmarked goods, digital goods and services at about 3% of consumer spend today. It's a little more, by the way, for Gen X and Gen Z, where it's upwards of 3.4% for them. But you can imagine some certain categories of digital goods and services are growing at eight and a half percent, an unbelievable number. And when you reflect on the apparel industry is about 3.2% of consumer spend, that's a considerable marketplace. And it's growing with, with, with such speed that we're really excited about the potential outcomes in the future for our clients as they shift to a digital good and service model. So one of the ways we might see that is, let's let's talk very generically, maybe a consumer packaged goods company, like let's just take anyone. So if you're sitting down with them and you're encouraging them to think about digital goods and services, for example, I'm going to throw one out at you. You could be like, yes or no. I am a CPG company. I sell toothpaste and I've always just fought for shelf space because that's what I've done forever and deployed my resources. But now I started a subscription. You know what? Let me just sign up. It's a digital subscription. I want that. By the way, there's so many different types of toothpaste, like knowing I can get that exact one rather than hunt around at different targets for it or wherever. Uh, that would bring me to the table. That would be considered a digital service and good. Checks both bosses, actually. Uh, so that would be maybe an example. Is that a good example? What do you think? You know, that, that's, it's an interesting example of client interaction, leveraging technology to you know, create a, a channel to engage the consumer. And let's go down that path. The CPG company are leveraging what they know about you to proactively address your need through a subscription model. I, I would argue they know nothing about me, and I think that's it, the issue. It, 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 it's a great argument. So let's go down that path. I, I, I like this, where this is going. So the, the, the CPG company or the toothpaste company, what, what they might do from a digital good and service is provide a, a way to know the customer better or understand more deeply the customer through the subscription that you, you referenced and then use AI and other tools to identify exactly when that product is needed and, and make sure that you're getting that repetitive experience that you'd expect. You demand a certain type of toothpaste, you're getting it when the toothpaste is, is, uh, is gone and, or before it's gone. So by linking the, the, you know, the physical product of the toothpaste with a digital sub subscription and then layering on top of that an AI element, to understand exactly the preference of the, of, of the customer and then manage to get that product to them when they need it 
and of course, you, there are a lot of examples of, of embedded devices into, into products where the measurement of, of how much of the product is, is remaining before the reorder you know, is initiated is already in place in a lot of different types of products, not necessarily toothpaste. But I think what's important about that is that it is an opportunity for CPG companies to learn more about their customers. And then it's on the other side, it's an opportunity for them to market new products that may be aligned with what that customer is asking for today, that maybe we believe based on the, or the, the CPG company believes based on their studies that that, or that product might be particularly interesting to, to the individual. And that's just not toothpaste. That's other personal care products, you know, and other items that you might be, be wanting to sell. I, I just want to double down on the toothpaste thing, because while you're talking, I'm getting more and more excited about it because there, there are a lot of options out there. I mean, we have the paradox of choice going on right now. And I, I would assume they're all different and interesting ways that I just don't have the time to actually compare them in the store. So I'd be very interested to hear what would be recommended for me. And then when I think back to to families, you know, I had little kids, they get their own little version of toothpaste and then they have adult versions of toothpaste because we drink coffee and red wine and all these other things. I don't really think an eight-year-old or let's say a 12-year-old needs, they're not taking the little kid toothpaste and they don't need what we use as adults. So there's like an underserved um, class there at probably a couple of levels that if you just ask, you know, they probably need to combat sugar a lot more than we need whitening. And so if you have all of these toothpastes that are just like being thrown out there that you think the customer is actually researching, they're not. So if you just time to match and, and have a two-way discussion with your customer, I think that it can result in a better experience for them, which ultimately results in more, more volume for, for the company itself. Yeah, and impact. So we talk about, you know, you talked about sugar with certain ages. It's really important that they're that they're they're not that their teeth are remaining strong. And and so the idea to provide a safe product that's that's fit for purpose at a time in their lives when they need it, I think is something that that a lot of CPG companies would say that's exactly what we want. Um, and then there's co-branding opportunities. When you think about it, the more you know about your customer, and maybe this is the theme that 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 we'd want to to you know, sort of impress. The more you know about the customer, the more you can do other unique things to create value. So, for example, with a toothpaste, maybe there's a toothbrush manufacturer, and it could be your own company, that's suited better for that toothpaste. Or maybe it would be of interest to a person as, as life cycles change. You go from using you know, the little electronic toothbrushes when you're a kid to, to maybe a manual because it's not cool when you're, when you're an adolescent and a teen. Back to, you know, some advanced toothpicks and, and other things that we likely use day to day to keep our teeth clean. So the co-branding opportunities are out there as well. And at the heart of all this is understanding your customer more, leveraging advanced technologies like AI, and to create a unique experience, one that is, makes you inseparable to that individual throughout their lives. I, I completely agree. I think that it, it fits a lot of what your blueprint is. Um, and also leans into like community. And I, I would argue that if you did some research, I would say that different, you know, t types of people have different 
let's say in this case, dental needs. And you're only going to know that by, you know, reaching out and getting that feedback and having, going back to that from mass to micro. I mean, Mm -hmm. I am getting a one-to-one, right? From my perspective, I'm getting a one-to-one. From the from the other side, from the business side, it's a one to many, but it's scalable and it and it's it it provides that relationship. So so we did that. We did deep dive into toothpaste. That was good. <laughs> but just to remind everyone, it does bubble up under as a case study, as an example of what we are likely to see in digital goods and services as it's laid out as a real growth area, according to the future of the consumer industry. And we want to thank Anthony Welter, Vice Chair, U.S. Consumer Industry Leader at Deloitte, for coming in and sharing with us his thoughts and observations on this document and how much it's already contributed to a lot of what's being used in in the market. Yeah, thanks, Christine. We're really excited about it and and really excited about what the future will hold. This is not a, a static document. It's dynamic. The framework is dynamic, and we'll be sure to share more as as it, it continues to be created. Well, anytime you want to come back and talk about toothpaste or any other iteration of this, I think what would be really interesting is to take something that is not quite theoretical. It's 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 a strategy, but really start to understand it, you know, IRL as they can say in real life. How is this turning up? How is this turning out? Let's see all the ways that the 369 are happening in various use cases. So you guys have an open invitation for any time you want to talk about it. Well, we'll appreciate it. We'll we'll definitely be taking you up on that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anthony.